Welcome to Hospitals in Focus from the Federation of American Hospitals. Here's your host, Chip Kahn. Hard to believe that it is now over a year since COVID cases were first reported in the United States. By March 2020, the pandemic's full impact was manifesting in a combination of overwhelmed hospitals in COVID hotspots and shutdowns everywhere else as health systems worked to preserve PPE and prepare for the worst. Amid these challenges, Dr. John Perlin, CMO and President of Clinical Services at HCA Healthcare, joined me on Hospitals in Focus to discuss the impact of COVID on the front lines and to explore what policymakers should do to enable hospitals and health systems to defeat COVID. Today, 11 months later, I am talking with John again, this time with an apparent downturn in COVID hospitalizations and the diffusion of vaccines picking up, we may be seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. John is here to discuss what he has learned about treating COVID patients how HCA Healthcare has used its size and scale to disseminate treatment protocols throughout its system of hospitals, and how they plan to use big data to improve the treatment of COVID and other conditions. Thank you for joining me today, John. Well, Chip, thanks for the invitation back. It's good to be with you. John, this is our third time uh, with you as a guest on our podcast, but for our audience who may not have heard you previously, will you tell us a bit about yourself, your career, and your responsibilities as CMO of HCA Healthcare. Well, well thanks, Chip. While I'm an internist by background, that's um, pretty broadly known. What may not be known is that I was actually an English and philosophy major, which has come into um, uh, great utility over the course of my career and, and, and certainly during uh, COVID. Uh, I sort of retread from an MD-PhD in molecular neuropharmacology, uh, not the obvious course to health administration, to health services research and quality improvement. That path took me to uh, a number of positions at the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs, culminating with uh, serving as the CEO of the Veterans Health Administration uh, and as, as Undersecretary for Health. And uh, after serving in that role, a number of roles at VA for the better part of a decade, I was recruited to uh, HCA Healthcare. Uh, and I can't believe that um, I'm going to be coming up on my 15th anniversary in August uh, of, uh, of this year. There, I serve as the chief medical officer and the president of clinical operations. Um, have the privilege of really uh, leading a team uh, of nearly 400 who are uh, comprised of data scientists uh, and, and clinicians, really, uh, I'm proud to say, world caliber uh, in both uh, areas. Uh, could be department chairs uh, and deans who really work to support the system's care excellence. And their work has really uh, come to the fore uh, over the past year as uh, we've really needed to fire on all cylinders in terms of safety, quality, uh, and decision support for um, being able to not only care for COVID patients, but uh, also to the extent possible, care for all of the other needs that are part of being a, a large health system. John, COVID has been so impactful on the United States as well as the world over the last year. In your view, what is the prognosis for the pandemic? Uh, how do you see our progress? And how quickly can the vaccines uh, get us back to some kind of, in quotes, normal life? Yeah, well, I think it's important to have the quotes around normal because um, pre-COVID is not going to be the post-COVID world. And I hate to be a, a Debbie Downer on, on this topic. 
I think there is every reason to be excited about um, uh, the vaccines. Uh, the vaccines, I think, um, uh, not only confer optimism for COVID, but for vaccine technology. But what gives me some pause uh, is, is, is not the vaccines, because they're uh, really set a benchmark for effectiveness, both the mRNA vaccines like the Moderna and the Pfizer, as well as the viral vectors like the uh, Johnson & Johnson. But what gives us pause is what's really um, coming to um, uh, the fore and the news, uh, which are all these mutations uh, of COVID, uh, particularly in South Africa and in uh, Brazil. And these mutations are potentially conferring upon the virus the ability to evade the immunity conferred by the vaccine. So when we look to the end of the sort of peak of, uh, of activity worldwide that we've seen, we're likely to see you know, sort of assaults uh, on, on humans from a number of mutant strains that are likely to require additional vaccines, booster shots that are tuned to the new mutations. Uh, you may have heard Dr. Fauci talking about this transformation from really a pandemic and an episodic type of, of disease uh, to one that is endemic and sort of in the background like uh, influenza. So um, the good news is, is I think we're going to see this um, conference of uh, immunity, either through the broad distribution of vaccines, uh, and um, probably we should talk about how many people have likely actually been affected, uh, infected beyond the um, uh, public numbers. But uh, I, I think we're going to be living with this in the same way that we live with um, seasonal influenza uh, and uh, seasonality yet to, to be determined. So uh, I think the watchwords for the future are optimism about uh, what we've learned to do in terms of, of vaccines and providing um, uh, some um, a degree of safety, but also uh, really cautious optimism uh, in terms of observing what may be a transformation from pandemic to endemic. So just like the flu, uh, treatment is going to continually probably be an issue. Uh, what did HCA Healthcare learn about treating COVID patients over the course of the year, and how is that treatment evolving for those diagnosed today? Yeah, well, any success we've had in treatment over the last year is really based on um, a decade-long history of building a learning health system. And uh, we learned to learn faster. And uh, I think I mentioned before that the privilege of scale is in size. The privilege of scale is accelerated learning, uh, and that we did. Uh, patients today are roughly a third more likely to survive COVID. Uh, and the patients who end up in the hospital are much sicker on average because we can now care for patients with more mild COVID uh, as outpatients, particularly with the use of um, uh, monoclonal uh, antibodies. But we've learned not only how to care better for COVID patients, I think we've learned how to care better for our staff and for uh, all patients. We've learned how to do better in terms of uh, infection prevention. We've learned how to do better in terms of storing precious resources, both medications and protective equipment. Uh, and um, while I've always been proud of this sort of virtuous cycle of data coming from the patient to our collective memory, the data warehouse, and then processing it to feed back to the bedside to improve care, we've learned to accelerate that learning loop. Uh, and uh, our, our CEO, uh, Sam Hazen, likes to refer to this as COVID speed. Uh, and it's really taught us uh, how to focus on a problem uh, and move with uh, an unprecedented alacrity uh, and really put a lot of the issues that are less relevant um, uh, to the back. 
Uh, so whether it's been in, in the arena of, of care itself, in the arena of systems operation and improvement, or in terms of formal research, where we literally have um, hundreds of, um, of research studies uh, in progress, over 50 publications, either uh, already published uh, or in press or um, uh, submitted or under review. We've uh, really uh, learned how to learn better, and that's uh, improving care uh, and uh, efficiency and safety. So in terms of this COVID speed, uh, how did you disseminate what you learned, and how quickly were changes incorporated in the course of treatment at HCA healthcare hospitals? And do you expect some of these, you started off with this a minute ago, to s some of these treatments and approaches to stick post-pandemic? Yeah, well, you know, disseminating information is really a challenge. Um, I, I'm sure you and I have read the same literature about what's called the 17-year translation gap, where um, Ballas and Boron published that historically it's taken 17 years for new findings to be accepted into daily practice. Uh, we didn't have 17 years in the last year, uh, simple math, um, uh, but we learned within a month. In fact, within the first 1% of the patients we cared for, things like what didn't work. We learned within the first 1,500 patients of the roughly 111,000 we took care of uh, in 2020 with COVID that not only did hydroxychloroquine not work, but that it conferred additional risk for mortality. Uh, so I think we've learned not only how to learn faster, as I mentioned, but uh, how to disseminate the findings. And the modes of dissemination uh, have ranged from involving our clinicians uh, in the research, meaning the uptake is, is faster, to using our closed loop sort of virtuous cycle learning health system to feed information back to the teams, to operations, to the bedside. Uh, and we've also created, I believe, a much tighter community. Uh, we've had some um, uh, really terrific conversations across, and this is really pretty hard to believe, across not only the 5,000 or so directly employed physicians and 1,500 directly employed uh, advanced practice um, personnel, but um, across really um, the medical executive committees uh, and the 40 to 50,000 other affiliated uh, physician staff. We've introduced new letters, new videos, uh, and uh, we've created a learning community. Uh, and that community is one that my colleague, Jane Inglebright, our chief nursing executive, has uh, really fostered with the roughly 100,000 uh, nurses and um, uh, other essential health personnel that are part of um, uh, her professional responsibility. So I, I think we've created a, a, a culture uh, and an environment that um, uh, really has been much more interactive and, and communicative, uh, and that's uh, accelerated the diffusion of information. So for part of this, John, is the, the sheer scale of HCA uh, healthcare, and that offers the opportunity for the use of big data for unprecedented analysis and research. In the COVID experience, you've described that, but you've done it on other conditions too. The first time we spoke uh, back in 2018, we discussed how you all did this uh, to develop new protocols uh, in the fight against sepsis. Uh, how have you brought this capacity to bear in the pandemic, what, what have you done to use this big data to change care? As I mentioned, it's really been on the back of uh, a decade of investment in building a learning health system. Um, you know, we know that uh, today uh, every patient encounter generates digital information, both structured, that is numbers and things that can be mathematically related, 
uh, as well as unstructured data, the text. Uh, and for the last decade, we've captured all of that information that goes into our data warehouse. And you alluded to our spot, sepsis prediction and op optimization of therapy um, module that actually brings those data back to the bedside. What's important about SPOT in this instance uh, is not that it's already proven itself to have saved 8,000 lives by earlier identification of sepsis, but that it's a model. It's a platform. And we quickly use that platform for something called NATE, uh, which is our, our, our program to uh, actually bring these sorts of learnings back to uh, the bedside and to the care providers. We used Nate uh, at the outset to accelerate transformation in terms of how we cared for COVID patients uh, by being able to visualize where the COVID patients were in the system, whether it was a hotspot in a particular city or a particular hospital. Uh, we can identify how we could optimize the cohorting of patients. Realize that if um, you have a number of COVID patients and non-COVID patients, first, we want to keep them, them separate. Second, we want to minimize the staff exposures. Uh, and third, we want to really optimize the skills. So we were able within uh, literally the first 10 days or so to create a program based on the SPOT platform that actually showed each hospital where their COVID patients were so they could be aggregated in one unit. And that at the outset when PPE was uh, personal protective equipment was so incredibly precious, uh, allowed us to conserve those, um, uh, those supplies uh, as well. Nate evolved, uh, and um, one of the things that we learned both from the literature and uh, our own observations was that patients with the fragile lung conditions, the uh, uh, respiratory distress syndrome that uh, is uh, somewhat of a byproduct of the inflammatory process of, of COVID, need to have mechanical ventilation that's very particular. You don't want to overexpand the lungs. That is, the tidal volume needs to be controlled. You don't want the pressures to be high. And we can optimize the lung uh, capacity by about 30% by putting the patient on their belly, something called proning. Uh, we automated that process, and now we can look at every patient across the system who has COVID and give signals to the care team that suggests when their patients may have room for optimization of the particular parameters. What's so important here is that this not only improves survival uh, and other outcomes for COVID patients, but when you think about the acuity of care in a contemporary hospital, whether it's for cardiovascular services or any surgical uh, intervention or for cancer, what we've actually built is not a COVID module, but a ventilator optimization module that um, uh, improves outcomes for patients, um, reduces the time on the ventilator, and um, uh, introduces new efficiency. And that's what we mean by being a learning health system. We have the extraordinary privilege of over 37 million clinical encounters with patients uh, every year. And uh, those data help to, as I mentioned earlier, uh, really accelerate learning. I understand now, John, that you've developed a, a program and a project to go beyond just HCA healthcare, that you've put together a, co a consortium to make your research capacity available to government and other institutions so they can learn from the data that you're learning from. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that project? You know, the project is known as um, CHARGE, the Consortium of HCA and Academia for Research Generation. But um, fundamentally, it takes advantage of that learning health paradigm to create a new model for research. Most importantly, though, we feel it's our social responsibility. I mentioned um, in 2020, we had the um, privilege uh, and the, the challenge of caring for 111,000 inpatients with, with COVID. 
There is no health system in the United States that has cared for more inpatients with COVID. There is no, we don't believe, uh, system in the world that has integrated relational data that are a byproduct of uh, learning health systems, data warehouse, that has the capacity to offer new insights into the understanding of COVID uh, and the improvement of its therapy. Uh, and so what we did was really created a new mechanism to share data securely and privately with a number of uh, academic uh, and federal partners. So the consortium for, of, of HCA Academia for Research Generation invited uh, the Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality, I want to call out Dr. David Myers, uh, as well as a number of um, uh, prominent academic institutions, um, some of which are under Agency for Healthcare Research and Quality's home run hospital reengineering network program to really accelerate the real world learning. Uh, some of the um, partners in this include uh, locally, Meharry Medical College, one of the nation's four historically black medical colleges, uh, terrific partners, um, as well as um, Harvard and Duke and Columbia, and a number of other um, prominent institutions, UCSF, um, uh, UMass, Bay State as well. Uh, and um, we'll be looking at everything from the uh, social determinants uh, impact on COVID outcomes uh, to the challenges of not just age, but, 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 but frailty, to looking to better understand what therapies um, uh, and approaches to respiratory support uh, really optimize care. And we believe that partnering with the already productive HCA research, as I mentioned, more than 50 publications out um, already, we believe that we can contribute uh, not only to the well-being of HCA patients or American patients, but frankly, to uh, humanity by uh, really creating a digital commons for the responsible conduct of uh, accelerated research. And in that vein, we see this, again, not having a life just in terms of COVID, but serving as a fundamentally new paradigm for research. Uh, and uh, we find that pretty uh, exciting, whether it's bringing new cancer drugs to, to patients or new devices to market. But we see this as a way to just accelerate um, learning uh, and improve healthcare. You know, these are really great goals for this consortium, John. And, and I, I know you've already actually uh, achieved some of these uh, on conditions in uh, HCA healthcare. What does this process do to time? Right now, research in a single institution can take years, frankly. I assume that you're clipping that off significantly because of the scale. Uh, can you give us some sense of, of how you can, in a sense, uh, redo time in terms of medical research and the processes you're developing? That's a great question, Chip. You uh, alluded to some of our research with the Harvard Pilgrim Healthcare Institute down UC Irvine. Uh, a reduced MRSA study didn't take one hospital 60 plus years, 63 years. Uh, it took 43 hospitals 18 months to discover a new mechanism to cut ICU hospital acquired infections roughly in half, published in the New England Journal. Uh, and, you know, in 2021, the experience of a single institution may be idiosyncratic. So when you can pull together multiple hospitals, multiple institutions, you really can test will. Uh, an approach really prove out at community hospital, a, a tertiary or quaternary teaching center, or otherwise. Uh, so they have high capacity for generalization. 
And uh, as well, one of the things I'm most proud of, whether it's in our infection prevention work or in our reductions in maternal mortality, the population that HCI cares for uh, is actually more heterogeneous, more diverse than the US population at large. And by virtue then of pulling together large numbers of hospitals to answer these questions, we know that they will generalize not only to different hospital types, but to different uh, and diverse members of the broader uh, U.S. population. John, this is all further proof that HCA Healthcare is at the cutting edge of research and uses of big data. Uh, what other things do you have in your research pipeline right now that our audience might be interested in? Well, before I go to the um, big data, you know, sometimes it's the small data, the end of one. Uh, you may have read uh, about um, a, a woman who was treated at our Sarah Cannon Cancer Center uh, and uh, our Sarah Cannon Research Institute, uh, whose sickle cell was essentially cured. Cured is a big word. Sickle cell is a genetic uh, abnormality. Uh, and uh, instead of having adult hemoglobin, the hemoglobin codes or the genes that code for the hemoglobin lead uh, the proteins to bend the cells such that they become inflexible and you can't get blood to the end organs. Strokes, heart attacks, um, and incredible bone pain characterized. And for this um, really vivacious woman, we're just debilitating. Well, over the course of last year, and her story has been followed on NPR, this woman went from uh, you know almost bedridden to absolutely engaged uh, and, and, and functional because we used the CRISPR gene editing technology. Uh, one of our premier uh, oncologist researchers, Dr. Hader Frengel, uh, actually inserted new genes to displace the sickle gene and reestablish the prominence of what's called fetal hemoglobin, which actually carries oxygen even better than adult hemoglobin. Uh, and in this process of knocking out the defective gene and replacing it with uh, a gene that turns back on the fetal hemoglobin, this wasn't a case of what I used to, to, to offer to my sickle cell patients, just controlling pain as their bodies slowly endured the torture and, and piece by piece death. But um, in fact, an absolute reconstitution of the genetic makeup of her red blood cells such that her disease is cured. And uh, it, it's just really inspiring. Uh, I'm proud of our Syracuse Research Institute, which has, uh, in fact, delivered over 400 first to human compounds. Our GME program now has over 4,000 house staff, uh, and that has really amplified uh, the, the research substantially. And my own team, uh, is focused very much on what's called implementation science, uh, which is how do you take things uh, like knowing that hydroxychloroquine doesn't work or that steroids later in uh, COVID do work and really generate adoption faster? Or how do you uh, measure the effectiveness of using tools like SPOT uh, and NATE uh, that I mentioned to really change behavior, not in 17 years, not even in 17 months, not even in 17 days, but hopefully in the 17 minutes from when you have the knowledge to, to really uh, having the capacity to um, uh, change behavior and uh, improve healthcare. So we, we think this is really a key to adding value, to changing the nature of how healthcare is delivered, to bringing research and practice and operations closer together. And I, I think, you know, it's driven by desire not only for excellence, but for social responsibility and uh, a mission commitment to uh, the care and improvement of human life. John, uh, thank you so much for that summary of, of what you're working on. It, it really is inspiring. And I also think that in terms of COVID, 
HCA Healthcare is an example uh, of what a health system can do. If we look across the COVID pandemic uh, with all the issues that it raised for uh, operations and logistics, the one uh, institution in our society that clearly worked was the hospital, uh, was the health system in terms of figuring out how to help these patients and saving so many of them. So with that, uh, John, I just want to thank you and appreciate all the progress you've described and frankly look forward to our next conversation on our podcast, Hospitals in Focus. Chip, let me um, thank you for your leadership. Thank you for helping create the conditions to make what we do possible. And uh, I know you join me in thanking um, the legions, the tens of thousands of caregivers, not only in the HCA healthcare system, but uh, across the country, who have really um, shouldered the responsibility of caring for COVID. I look forward to our next conversation, but I appreciate uh, your work. uh, And I know we appreciate uh, all of those who are at the very front lines. Thanks for listening to Hospitals in Focus from the Federation of American Hospitals. Learn more at FAH.org. Follow the Federation on social media at FAH Hospitals and follow CHIP at CHIPCon. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Hospitals in Focus. Join us next time for more in-depth conversations with healthcare leaders.